Amen. That was wonderful. I really enjoy listening to her play that little miniature guitar. I love that. Uh, What's that, ukulele? Is that what it is? Amen. Well, it's uh, kind of an emotional and amazing day for us. It's just, it's amazing to me that it's been a year. It's just gone so quickly. Uh, it's just incredible how it's uh, taken place. I do want to say this before I even get started. Um, there have been many people, including Brother Curtis, who just came in, and so many people now uh, that thought for years that we would pass her, and now they're kind of gloating that they were right. Uh, but they'll say, are you enjoying pastoring? And I just want, to, want you to know, Calvary Baptist Church, to know that I, I tell them all the same thing. I say to them, I'm not sure that I enjoy pastoring. I know that I enjoy pastoring these people. I don't know what it would be like somewhere else. And I'm not sure, cause, uh, but I, man, y'all have sure made it a joy to be here. You really have. And that's just such a blessing. The, uh, uh, I want you to go to 1 John. 1 John, we're going we're gonna to look at several verses, but we're going to look at one verse uh, to begin. Uh, don't do this a whole lot, but, but today I'm going to. I'm going to use as a text verse one verse. And then, you, and then we'll go to some other ver- verses. The, my wife mentioned a, a message to me earlier this, this week, and, and uh, it's not the message she kind of mentioned to me about, you know, that, uh, just talking about this message that I had preached. And I'm going to use the, the title of the message, but it's not the message. It's, uh, it's called The Most Misunderstood Love. The most misunderstood love. In First John chapter three verse sixteen, it's not John, but First John chapter three verse sixteen. It says, "Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren." So much in this verse, but uh, I want to have a word of prayer and I'll get started. Father, I, I pray that you bless my mind, my heart. Lord, uh, time is a little short this morning, and, and uh, Lord, my mind is uh, sort of cloudy with, with emotions. It's not like, a, uh, like we've been here for 30 years in an in a anniversary. It's been one year, but Lord, it's been a joyous year. It's been a, an incredible year, and it's gone so quickly. Lord, I pray that you please bless this up and coming year, that we would be wise and that we would be used by you, and this church would be used, and people would continue to be helped and be, and Lord, spiritually and, and physically helped. Lord, I pray please now that you guide my mind and my thoughts, and you'd, you'd help me to preach exactly what you'd have me to say and, and do exactly what you'd have me to do. And Holy Spirit, I yield myself to thee. Please fill me from the top of my head to the sole of my feet every fiber of my being, please, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. This is a very powerful verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, hereby we perceive, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. When we start out our spiritual life upon the premise delivered in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we will understand the true meaning of the love of God. 
But, the, but I believe that the love of God is, is very misunderstood. It's somewhat amazing how God works for, for in John 3.16. It's kind of amazing to me how this is, works out, but it's 1 John 3.16, and then John 3.16 defines the love of God. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What we see here in this verse is that we see a love that's so total and so extreme that it's called so love. It's not just love. He's not God loved. He's so loved. Uh, This is a love beyond anything that we can even comprehend. He's so loved. It's it's such a complete love that it says it's it's the world. He's so loved, and the world includes everybody in it. You know, it, it includes the, the, the worst of the worst. And, you know, it, it, we, we kind of define who that worst of the worst is, but it includes the murderer. It includes the adulterer. It includes uh, the, the, the people that commit genocide. It, it's amazing, but God loved them, and God does love them. And I know that's even a hard thing to even to think, especially when people have been personally hurt. Uh, but the fact is, is that God so loved the world. And that includes everybody in it. And that includes everybody that's ever lived in it. It's so sacrificial that he gave his only begotten son. It's, it, it's, it's this extreme love, it's, it's so loved, it's complete love, it's the world, and it's sacrificial in the fact that he gave his son because of that love, because he loved the world. And again, you have to think now, while we were yet sinners, and, and no matter how bad the world is, we're still not good because even all of our righteousness is as filthy rags to God. The best of us, we're sinners and we're wicked and we've got sin in our lives and God still loved us. And that's, my, that's why so often uh, when I get frustrated about uh, where I feel like, God, surely you're going to judge this. Surely you're going to come with judgment against this situation. I think, okay, well, wait a minute, time out. You're giving grace to them and I better be glad you give grace because I sure need it. Because you go to just penalizing and punishing everybody that's messed up, we're all in a heap of trouble. And why did he do all of this? Why is this, this so love, this, this love for the world, this love that gave his only begotten son, he did it all so that an everlasting life would be possible for us. He gave it all so that we could have eternal life. And we're so undeserving of it, but yet he gave it to every one of us. He gave it as a gift to everyone. made it available, I should say, to every one of us. Our text verse, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We see that knowing the truth of John 3.16, we should, and John and 1 John 3.16, both of these, we see that we should perceive. That's the key to this, this whole text. That's what I'm really talking about this morning. When he says, hereby perceive we the love of God. God says, you ought to know it. You ought to see it. You ought to observe it. He said, God says, take a look at what I have done and perceive it. See what God has done for us. See how much he loved us. 
When we, we, when we understand the love of God, we will also understand that we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for our brethren. And, and watch this now. If we are uh, really sincerely, if you meet anybody that actually cares about other people the way they should care about other people, here's something you probably can know about them. They probably also have perceived the love of God. Because, see, God says when we understand his love, an automatic byproduct is, is that we ought to care about everybody else. That means, that, that means that when they're a complete stranger, you still ought to care, care about them. And watch this. That means even when you feel like somebody may take you for something, uh, listen, uh, God still knows your heart. And if God impresses upon your heart to give, I don't know if that panhandler up there on the street, when you're getting ready to get on the interstate, I don't know if they're going to walk away and get an Alexis. Okay? I really don't know. But if God pricks my heart, and that means that my wife reaches for my wallet, if, if God preaches, pricks my heart, that means, you know what? Just go ahead and give. You say, well, I may be giving to somebody that really doesn't need it. Let God sort that out. He wants you to have the heart to give. And you say, now, should I give to everybody? No, I said, when God pricks your heart, because I think sometimes he just lets you know. And, and look, we ought to be yielded to the Holy Spirit all the time. And, and that even means when you drive up, if this person needs, say, Holy Spirit, do I give here? Do I need to give? And if he says yes, do it. Do it. People have needs. People have hurts. And, and, and listen, they may be tricking you, but you walk away. I had a, I had a fellow one time that uh, at, uh, at college, uh, he, he, um, he, he needed a job. So I helped him get a job where I was working. And then he, after just a few days, he didn't show up for work. And I called him. I said, hey, man, my name's on the line. I helped you get this job. He said, uh, the fellow I was riding with doesn't work there anymore. He doesn't work. There. He said, I don't have a way to get to work. You know what I did? God had blessed me, and I had two cars. I had a little old Volkswagen Bug. You remember those things? Anybody old enough? I, I had a little Volkswagen Bug, and, and it was a great thing. It had great heat in the summer and um, <laughs> had no heat in the winter. You had to have a scraper for the outside and a scraper for the inside on the window when you drove. And, and, uh, but I said to him, I said, son, I'll give you this car. Just come to work. And so I signed my title over and gave him that, that little car. He worked about three weeks. He took off, left school, left the work, left everything. The next thing I got, I got a letter from him thanking me for that car because he sold it for such and such amount in Florida. He said, man, it was really a blessing to me. I sold it down here in Florida and got so much out of it. And it was... Do you understand? I felt like, what an idiot. But you know, God is blessed, and I've probably been given a half a dozen cars at least since then. Because God looks at your heart. And he knew my heart was to try to help this boy and the truth is, I've had an open door to help that boy ever since then. He's not a boy anymore, but I've had an open door to do that. So the love of God is motivational love, a challenging love. And when we understand this love of God, we also understand that we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for our brethren. The key word in this passage is this word perceive. Do we really know? Do we really perceive? Do we really understand what kind of love this love of God is? This love is a love so strong that no one, and no one and nothing can separate or come between that love. 
If you want to look at it, you can Romans chapter 8, verse 38. It says this, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you understand that God's love, when you trust Jesus Christ, your Savior, God says, can't nothing come between you anymore. Nothing can come between you. And can I just say, the love of God, nothing can come between you. This sounds God still loves those that go to hell. He still loves them. You say, how can he love them and let them go to hell? It's his righteousness. But he still loves. Here's a song says, oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. He says, I give thee back the life that I owe. This love is a uniting love, a love that defines relationship. First John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. This, is a, this, this love of God is a defining love. It, it defines us. He says that, that we become, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become the sons of God. We become God's children. Listen, when I'm in, in desperate situation, and I'll just tell you, when you as a Christian, when you're in stressful uh, situations, in desperate situations, I, I want to just challenge you to understand, you are a child of God. I go to God often, and I'll say to him, wait a minute, God, I'm your child. I'm a son of God. I'm, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He's my older brother, and dear God, that means I can come to you as a child, and I come to you asking you for this need and listen that's great authority and great power this love demands reciprocal love you see John eight forty two says Jesus said unto them if God were your father you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God neither came I of myself but he sent me notice what he said he said if God were your father you would love me listen if we really understand the love of God if we understand that he is our father if we understand I don't mean he's our creator he's the creator of every human being on this earth but but when you become his child you are he is your father when you understand that you understand how much he loved you you understand the love of Jesus Christ And what is this love all about? This love should challenge us, should motivate us, should inspire us to do something for somebody else. The example of this love comes in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 37. It says, I'll start with verse 30. It says, Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Once you look at this man, this man, uh, they, that he's leaving Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the holy city where the temple was located. Uh, this is where the Yahweh, God, had chosen to make his dwelling place. It was the symbol of divine, uh, the divine and the sacred In contrast to Scripture, we often find Jericho standing for the world. 
It, it, this place, Jericho, where he's going down to, you always talk about, they, it always referenced going down to Jericho, and it's going to the world, and he's leaving the place of God, and he's going into the world. And that's what Jericho symbolizes. And this man, he's attacked. This man, he's, he's not just, uh, he's not just uh, has theft performed against him. He's not just, had, he's not just robbed. He's, he's assaulted. He's wounded. And this wound is, is, is a very serious term. He's in very serious condition. He's wounded. And they left him even in the description. It says, leaving him half dead. And so this is what the world will do to you, folks. When you, when you step out and you, you say, you know what, I, and many Christians will do this. They'll just say, you know what, I'm done with the church. I'm done with, with serving God. I'm done with, with being a, quote, Christian, and they'll go back to the world. Uh, just let me help you. It may, the trip may seem really nice, and you may have your pockets full of money, and you may feel like everything's going good, but somewhere along the way, the old world's going to kill you. Somewhere along the way, it's going to come back on you. Somewhere along the way, it's going to break you, and it's going to wound you, and it's going to hurt you. You know, so uh, the simple truth is he had everything taken from him. You know, it even says he had his clothes taken from him. That, that, that's pretty serious when they beat you, and they take your money, and they also take your clothing. I don't know if anybody's... I, I had the experience at one time. I, I, I was uh, when I was going to college at, at Memphis State. My brother and I lived together in a little apartment over kind of the north side of the city, and I think our rent was forty-five dollars a month. So you know, it was a really nice place, and and uh, and so we were. It was summertime, and and we were both uh, lifeguards out with my brother that's here, and we were out out at Lakeland, and we were lifeguards out there, and. We came home one day, and, it, and we didn't get in home early. You know, we got home uh, later in the evening because the beach closed later. And so we got in, came in. When we came up to the door, we knew we might have a problem because our door was broken in half. And so, uh, uh, and so the door was just snapped in half, and, and we walked in. When we got in, everything that you could plug in was gone. I mean, back then I had a blow dryer. <laughs> now I tell my wife, blow on it. It's dry. All right. Uh, but everything we had, we, I mean, we had two stereo systems. We had two blow dryers. We had, you know, two, two of everything, you know. And, and, they, and if it plugged in, buddy, they took it. I had a, my brother had his shotgun under the bed, and they took it. And went to the closet, and every stitch of clothing that I owned, they took it. Every bit of it. Went to his closet, and they didn't take nothing. I said, I said, they know who dresses right around here. Didn't take a bit of his. Tommy just cleaned out my closet, didn't have a thing. So I kind of understand. I mean, they didn't just steal my stuff. They took my clothes. And now right now, you know what I got? I got a pair of swimming trunks. This is it. Now, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not very inhibited, but I'm not going everywhere like that. And so uh, you know, it, was, it was a tough situation. But, but, you know, the fact is, what's about to happen here is God's about to work, just like he worked in my life at that day. Because that was stolen, my brother, everything was gone. So he, looked, he took off, and he, I think he went and moved back home. I went over to a guy I had met. At the time, I just barely knew him. He ended up becoming a close friend. But I went over to a guy named Mike Clark. He lived in the dorms in, in Central Towers. And I said to him, I said, man, can I sleep on your floor tonight? And he said, yeah. 
And he said, man, where's your clothes and stuff? I said, I don't have any. And, he, and so Mike Clark, being from Columbia, Tennessee, gave me a pair of bib overalls. Oh, amen. amen. So I can at least go to school in the fall with bib overalls. Amen. And so uh, uh, that's what I had. I had a pair of bib overalls and flip-flops. I'm, and you won't believe this, but I went to college that way. Bib overalls, no shirt, and flip-flops. I was a cool-looking dude. But, but you know what? Through that time... I didn't sleep on his floor one night. I stayed there for a whole year. I never paid a dime. Either. But, I, but I slept on his floor in a sleeping bag for two semesters. Because you say, well, man, that, that's kind of crazy. Here's what God was doing. Mike Clark was a Christian. Mike Clark actually pastors in California right now. Mike Clark uh, started talking to me about the Word of God, and I didn't really know anything about it. He's the one that told me, read the book of Romans. That was kind of his form of witnessing to it. But Mike Clark, night after night, tried to point me in the right direction. And it was in that dorm room one night, and I believe probably through the prayers of Mike Clark, that I reached over and picked up a Gideon's Bible. He wasn't in the room, but I picked up a Gideon's Bible and knelt down beside my bed and went through the plan of salvation and trusted Christ as my Savior. This man, our story, has lost everything, but much worse, he's wounded. Spiritually, he's on his way to destruction. Verse 31, it says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So you've, you've got these two religious men that come by, and they see this man that's been beaten and wounded, and they, they pass by. They don't just walk by him. They, they say, we're going to get as far away from him as we can. They pass by on the other side. They walk on to, away from him, and they pass by him. The priest and the Levite, these are, these are people that are somebody in the church. These are people that are somebody in religion. The priest is the one who performs the sacrifices. He's the one who works much and leads others to work much for their salvation. The Levite is one who knows the law, and, and the, he knows the, the works in the church and, and for the church, and he works for the church, and uh, they both pass by. They know the law. They represent the law without sincerity, reality, or compassion. They are just worried about their life and how good they look to everybody else. But that's not what God's love is supposed to help us perceive. When we perceive the love of God, how much he loved me, a wicked and undeserving sinner, when, he, when I perceive how much he loves me, he says that's supposed to make you understand how much you ought to love each other. How much you ought to care about each other. I'll be honest with you, Brother Hopper, what you read and what you said, it, just, it, it broke my heart and it touched my heart because that's our dream. That's our hope. That's our prayer. It's not that I, I, I never want to get up and deliver a great sermon. I want to get up and say something that will help somebody. I know where I was headed. I know what was going to happen in my life. I know where I would be right now. But God Almighty, His love changed my life. It changed my home. It changed my marriage. And He says, when you perceive that love, 
You know what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to change how you treat each other. It's supposed to change how we talk to each other. So much evil done in the name of religion. And listen to me, religion has often nothing to do with the love of God. True Christianity is about the love of God. Religion is about uh, your status in the world. They both pass by. You know, maybe this is on my heart because of this week, last week, it, it's happened so many, but I've had so many who have come here for food or help, and they come and say, and this has been the most common statement that I've heard, and they say, and I'm not going to name any, but they say that they've been to larger churches and have been refused any help at all. They say things like this, and one just probably in the last few weeks said this, and, I, and again, I won't name churches, but they, they said we went to a very large church, and they told us they don't deal with poor people like us. How can you know the love of God? And I'm not condemning them. And I don't understand their situation. And I don't know who came to the door. And I don't know that. And that's why I'm not going to name any churches. But, but the fact is, let it not be in us. If we know the love of God, if we perceive the love of God, then God said, if you truly perceive it, here's the test. How do you treat everybody else? How do you treat each other? Religion, I'm afraid, has never really understood the love of God. Does not perceive. Verse 33 says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, came where this wounded man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And I love the fact, you know, Jesus uses this as a Samaritan. Watch this now, a Samaritan. And I'm going to cut this down. We'll be done in just a, just a second, but a Samaritan. You see, the Samaritan was generally considered a half-breed, and they were universally despised by the Jews. You know what I'm saying? They were beneath the religious people. They were half-breeds. And this is a man who was shunned, not even allowed. This, this half-breed was shunned and not even allowed to worship with the Jews. Shunned by the priest and the Levite. But this story, this whole story is to tell us that it's not uh, uh, what, uh, about your title or what works you've done or how religious you might be. The question is, do you perceive, do you understand the love of God? For if you do, that love will drive you to love others. Love is not a word but an action as we see in the rest of the story. And that's what we've got to understand. It's not even enough to just say, well, I do. I love everybody. 
You don't, look, you don't really love anybody until you are willing to help other people, to do something for somebody else. In verse 34, it says, And went to him and bound up his wounds, and pouring in oil and wine, set him on his beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thou uh, thinkest thou was a neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, listen what he tells him, Go and do thou likewise. We all have a tendency to look down on those who have less and those who have messed up their lives in sin. And you know what? You know who we believe has messed up their life? Anybody that's living worse than we are. Those who choose to go down to Jericho, who may feel, uh, we may feel they got what they deserve. They chose to go on this dangerous road into the world. And l- let me just beg you folks, please don't say that to anybody or about anybody. Uh, don't look at them and say, well, they, they made their choices. Uh, they made their bed. Let them sleep in it. Listen to me, folks. Hey, All of us have made a pretty lousy bed. And it's only by the grace of God that you're here right now. It's only by the grace of God that you get a pillow to put your head on. It's only by the grace of God that you have anything that is good in your life. Amen? It's only by the grace of God that we've got that. So don't go pointing fingers. It could be you tomorrow. Please listen, we must understand there must be someone willing to help. We must, and it must be us. We don't let somebody else, but we must be that man. And we'll either pass by or we'll stop and help. It's just that simple. Just saying we care is not enough. This Samaritan that others looked down upon was the one who understood the love of God. This Samaritan didn't talk a good game. He gave his very best. He sacrificed to help this man. A certain man, was was he a Jew? Was he wealthy? Was he poor? Was he lost? Was he saved? We do not know. Neither did the Samaritan. But he did know he was one that God loved and one that he should love too. I refuse to be part of a Christianity that is performed for my sake and for those that look like me, act like me, smell like me, talk like me, or walk like me. I have a love that will not let me go. And this was my thought on this anniversary. I hope we of Calvary Baptist will have a, a love that will not let them go. Will not let them go. And I hope and those that come to visit Calvary that you experience the love of God. Not perfect people. We're all a bunch of imperfect people. We really are. We're all people that struggle with life. But I hope and pray that when you walk out the door, after you've walked in the door here, you walk out the door feeling like, you know what? They're just people like us. But I feel like they love us. I feel like they truly care. That's what I'm supposed to get when I perceive the love of God. If I truly perceive the love of God, then I get this challenge in my heart to love somebody else. Father, I thank you for your
your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Lord Jesus.